Well, God is definitely up to something because the way the whole meeting has been orchestrated today, and when you hear the word, you'll see he's definitely trying to speak to us today and wants to be with us and his presence is definitely here. So to start this message, I've got to share a story with you, which is quite an embarrassing story. But I figured, hey, we're family. Kenny's like, yes. I figured we're family. You're going to understand. This might have even happened to you at some time in your life, and then you'll sympathize with me of what happened. But I want to share this story because you'll see as the message goes on that it's quite relevant. So it started when I was working in London, and one lunchtime I was nominated to go out to a really posh candle shop to go, and Lisa knows the story, so she's laughing already, to go and buy a gift for a colleague, and I was nominated. So off I went. It was in a different area from where I worked, so I was a bit unfamiliar with where it was. And I walked into this lovely French posh candle shop, which begs the question, church, as many of you know my preaching, I like an accent or two in my preach. So I thought we'd get it out the way at the beginning. So it was a French candle shop. Any French people in the house? Lord help me, there's one. So I walked into the shop and this lady said, Bonjour, je m'appelle Francine. How may I help you today with your purchase? So I said, I'm looking for a candle, and explained. And so she helped me. Oh, no problem. This is how we roll in gay party. So I went over, and I started to sample and smell the lovely aroma of these candles. And I chose the perfect one. And I went up the, to the counter, and she said, oh, very well done. This is exactly what I would have recommended for you. She was sort of French, Italian, Russian. You know, one, one of them ones. Anyway, so... Yeah, she might turn Scottish in a minute. But I handed her the candle and, and she started to gift wrap it for me. And then this is when the embarrassing moment happened. Because I got this overwhelming pain in my stomach. And I was like, oh, my stomach doubled over. And I was absolutely desperate for the toilet. I was like, if I don't go now, this is going to be really embarrassing in the French perfume, lovely, wonderful shop. I just had that terrible, terrible pain. And I was like, oh, you know, it almost grips you. Then the cold sweat comes on. You're like, oh, I need the toilet. So she's wrapping this up so lovely, this gift. And I went, um, excuse me, Francine, do, do you have a toilet here? Oh, oui, oui. I said, no, poo-poo. And I, I'm very desperate. Um, is there any chance? And she said, oh. Sorry, it is for staff only. To which I said, oh, I'm desperate. Is, is there any chance that I could... I'm so sorry. So I'm like, okay. So then she's gift wrapping the ribbon and I'm like this. Just give it, like, don't worry about the gift wrap. No, no, we need it gift wrapped. It will look better. No, don't worry. And I literally grabbed the bag. I had paid for it by then. And I ran out of this shop. And I'm in an area I'm unfamiliar with. And I'm completely desperate for the toilet. It was a really terrible situation. And everything is going through your mind of what if I don't make it? And, you know, I, I, I couldn't have cared what this loo looked like. I couldn't have cared if you take me to a builder's site and have to use one of those blue porter loos that evidently fall over. Um, I like a pristine toilet at home with a bit of, you know, bleach in it, looking nice. But I couldn't have cared what it looked like because I was so desperate that I needed to find somewhere. And suddenly I saw the um, entrance of the underground and I was like, ah, oh, there might be one down there. So I literally ran the wrong way. You've got everybody walking up the steps. And I ran, I was pushing past people because it was, honestly, it was a moment. And then I made it, just to let you know that. It was all fine. <laughs> I made it. Praise God. <laughs> I was like, oh. And I walked back into work and obviously hadn't realised how it affected me because I walked in and everyone was like, what happened to you? My hair was everywhere. I was as white as a sheet. And I was like, 
You do not want to know, but do not go to that candle shop. It is dodgy. So that was my, my story. But I tell you that because I want you to understand the desperation. I was absolutely desperate. I needed to get to a place that would change the situation, if you know what I mean. But I want to ask you about your desperation after God today. What is your desperation for the presence of God? How desperate are you? What will you push out of the way? What will you run to? What will you leave the way of distraction in order to get into his presence? How desperate are you to commune with God and his Holy Spirit? How are you like, this is life or death for me that I need to be in his presence? It's not a, oh, take it or leave it. But it's like I'm desperate because I'm hungry and thirsty. And the thing I hunger and thirst for is only found in his presence, which is my communion with the Holy Spirit. So this message is about your desperation and your passion for God today. You know, in the Old Testament, the very presence of God was contained within a place called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies had a thick, thick curtain that we sang about today, the veil, which separated the very presence from God, from the people, from the temple, from the priest. Because the presence of God was just so overpowering, so magnificent, so full of glory, that if you were to stand there, you would die instantly. And so they put this really, really thick curtain between the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, and in the temple. And this curtain was so thick and so um, durable that you could tie two horses to either end of the curtain and you could get the horses to bolt and it would not tear. It was that thick. It was so strong. And the glory and the presence of God was contained behind the veil. And once a year at Yom Kippur, the priest would be the only person that could go in behind the veil and would give a blood sacrifice of a goat or a lamb in order to atone for the sins for the whole year. So the people in the Old Testament, every time they'd sinned, every time they messed up, every time they'd fallen short, the only way of being redeemed from that was once a year in that blood sacrifice, Yom Kippur, when the priest was the only one with access to the Holy of Holies, to the glory of God, to the presence of God. And then Jesus came. And thank you, God, that Jesus came. Because for us, we don't have to just rely on the priest to go into the presence of God and rely on the priest to step into the Holy of Holies. Because we can step into the very presence of God and the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because when he made the ultimate sacrifice, a man without any sin, and he shed that precious blood, and he died and then he rose again by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. When that happened, that curtain in the temple that could not be torn by horses with that power within their bodies, it tore from the top to the bottom but the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And it tore and it showed us a prophetic sign that no longer is there a barrier between man and God. No longer is there a veil where we cannot enter his presence. No longer is there division between us. But he says, enter and step right in because I'm with you. I'm constantly with you. And what I love about that is that for us, people who are living under the New Testament, we get to go in to the very throne room of God. We get to commune with the Holy Spirit. In fact, when we accept Jesus into our lives, we accept the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the almighty presence of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And that is the presence that's in us and God is omnipresent with us. When Jesus rose and died again, he made many appearances to his disciples. And in Matthew 28, verse 20, he's teaching them about going out to be disciples, to make believers. And he's given them some instructions on what to do. 
And it's the second part of the verse I want to home in on. But Jesus says, And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. My presence is with you always until the very end. And we have this amazing opportunity to have a full-on relationship with God and to be in his presence at our choosing 24-7, 365 days a year. And yet it's our choice of whether we enter in to his presence. It's our choice whether we commune with him, whether we enter him into every area of our lives. It's down to us because he waits. He waits for us to enter in. He waits for us to commune with him. And as I unpack this message, you will see the importance of the presence of God in your everyday life, in your waking, in your sleeping, in in the normal things of life, you need his presence. First and foremost, you need his presence. So to look at being in his presence, I want to look at being away from his presence and what that looks like. And I'm going to look at this in the story of the prodigal son, a famous parable that many of us will be familiar with in church. And in this story, there's a father and he has two sons. And one of his sons comes to him one day and says, Father, I want my inheritance now. I want one third of everything, your possessions, your um, finance, everything that is due to me when you die, I want it now. That was nice, wasn't it, going up to your dad and saying that? I know you haven't popped your clogs yet, but any danger I can have my money now. (laughs) And that's what he did. But the father, he was a good father, and he said, if that's what you want, son, I shall give that to you. And so he gave him his inheritance early. He gave him the third of everything. And this son left the place of the Holy Land and he went to a pagan place. And he went and the Bible tells us that he had cheap living, that he wasted all the money. He went with prostitutes. He lived it up. He had loads of fair weather friends that are always there when it's good and never there when the rain comes. He lived this life that was so far away from how God and his father's house had taught him. And he went, and it was fine, because sin is fine for a season. He was in enjoy himself. He was in in the party atmosphere. He was loving it. He had all this money. And it was brilliant until famine came. It was great for a season until the money ran out, until the good living had come to an end, and those friends that stuck with him when his his pockets were full of money were suddenly gone. And he found himself in the middle of a famine, starving to death. He found himself in a place of nothingness, away from his father and his father's house away from the presence of his father. And there he was, thinking, what do I do in this time of famine? What do I do when I'm away from my homeland? My father, his house, what do I do? And he was starving. And this is what he did, if we could have Luke 15, verses 15 to 16. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen in that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he's gone to a place where he's literally in the pigsty. He's trying to eat what the pigs are having. I mean, imagine that. Who would really like to go and dine with pigs? I've been to Jimmy's farm and it's not a pretty sight. And, and there he was. And literally he's trying to get scraps. He's in the lowest place. He's probably smelt. It was a disgusting place to be in. And he was trying on that field to get something to eat. Something that would sustain him. And there he is in this complete mess. And what happens? He has a memory and a thought of his father and his father's house. He starts to think, wow, in that house there was provision, there was supply, there was love, there was a good atmosphere. And here I am at my own doing in a place that is not God's highest for me. It's not my father's highest for me. I'm sure what went through his mind was, what would my dad think now? I've spent all that money. I've spent my inheritance for what? 
nothing. Here I am, muddy, dirty, sat in a pigsty, trying to eat what the pigs won't even offer me. And he had a moment. And I love what it says in, in Luke 15, verses 17 to 20. This first bit. When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, when he had that memory of what life had been like before, he blew it. He came to his senses and he said, Many of my father's hired servants have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. You see, in his mess, he remembered his father. And he thought, maybe if I could just go back and, and I'm so sorry for what's happened. And I'm so sorry I've ended up in this place. And maybe, just maybe, he'll take me in as one of his servants. Maybe he'll just not want me there, but, but I'll just try and I'll go and ask for forgiveness because I know I've sinned against my father and his house and against all of heaven, but I'm desperate. I'm so desperate. I'm so desperate that I need food. I need a house over my, um, to house me. I need shelter. I need to go back to that place that was good. And yet here I am, but he came to his senses because something lured him back to the presence of his father's house. Something in him longed to return to a place where he would have provision, where he would have warmth and love, and a place that would get him out the mess that he was in. You see, the mess that he was in, as we've talked about already this morning, is sin. And sin is the biggest thing that separates us from the presence of God. Because when we know God, we've invited him into our lives, and the Holy Spirit resides in there. It is sin that separates us and creates a barrier between us and God. And we talked last week about sin and transgression and iniquity. We talked all about that and Pastor Barry did a brilliant message about it. And see the little things build up and build up and before we know it, it becomes a big mess. And we never intended it to be like that. And so there becomes this, this barrier between us and God because of our sin. And yet when we confess it and we give it over to him, it's forgotten and it's dealt with and it's gone. But this man found himself in that place of I'm not in that connection with my father. Because this mess and this sin has got in the way. But God's presence calls us to a place of confession and being set free from that sin. So we can enter into his presence in a whole new way. You see, God wants us with relationship with him. That's the way, whole reason he created us was for relationship. He longs for us to be in his presence. He draws us into his presence. He wants us there. And he says, come and commune with me 24-7, 365 days of the year. I'm waiting for you to come into my presence. I'm waiting for you to give me the thing that is the barrier that's in the way. And I want you to really enter into my presence. And to illustrate this, there's a story um, of Dan and I. We went out on New Year's Day for dinner, a restaurant in town. And we'd, it was really exciting because we were like, right, we're going to plan our year. We're going to go out for a meal and we're going to be excited about what God is going to do in this year and have vision for this year, talk about all our ideas, etc., like you do. Good on the 1st of January. So we went out for dinner. And I don't know what it is with restaurants these days, but you go for a meal for two, romantic meal, and yet they stick people right next to you. So there's one sort of like dividing like little bit of wood with a little bit of roses up it or something. But you're literally, I'm sat here and there's somebody sat right next to me. And you're trying to have an intimate meal and you've got a couple next to you. And we're a bit like, okay, well, it doesn't matter. We'll get on. So we started to have our dinner. And sure enough, the empty seats next to us got filled by a young couple. They came in and they sat down. So we're mid-flow of our steak by now, you know, having a chat and everything about the year. 
And this couple come in, they sit down, they get the menus, they speak to the waitress, they order their food, and they sit there. And then she gets her phone out, so she's on Facebook, obviously. And then he gets his phone out, and he's on WhatsApp. And they sat there. And so we're chatting, bandering about our ideas, having a laugh, looking over the old times of the year. And the more you sort of saw what was happening, the more we knew, looking at each other, what was happening with this couple. They sat there for the whole duration of their meal, without exaggeration, and they did not speak once. They were both on their phones, they had their food, they had their drink, the waitress came, they got their bill, and they went within about 45 minutes. And not once did they speak to each other. Not once did they communicate. And it was actually almost got awkward for us because we were so close to them. I almost went and say, hey, how are you guys doing? But I was like, should I, shouldn't I? But we just got on, <laughs> and it was awful. But it made me so think, you know, they were in each other's presence, but they weren't present. They were not present. They were there enjoying a meal in the same restaurant with that same atmosphere and they'd made no communication at all because they were too busy with the distraction of life, what's happening on Facebook. Oh, they're going out for a meal, that's nice. But you're going out for a meal. You're there to communicate with one another and there was nothing. They walked out almost like had they had an argument. What had gone on? But they were present, but they were not present. And we have his presence, but are we present in the presence? You know, when we come in the gatherings like today, or a midweek meeting, a connect, a prayer meeting, a social gathering. When we're there together, are we present with the Father? When we're lifting our hands in worship, are we really in there and we're really present? Are we giving him everything or is there that sin, that thing that we know we keep doing and we know it's not right? And yet in an instant, we can be set free from that if we confess it and then turn around from it. And God can do that. We need to be present in his presence. I had this little slogan that God gave me when I prepared this message. Address the sin and enter in. And that's what the prodigal son did. Address the sin and enter in. Because he knew he had to address the way he'd been living. That it was not up to the level of what God or his father would have wanted for him. So he had to address it and then he had to enter in by going back. He had to turn around and go back to his father's house. Go back to the place where his father would be. Go back to the place of provision, safety. And so he made a choice to go back. So this is what he did in Luke 15, verse 20. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. Imagine that journey back to your father's house. What would have been going through his mind? Is he going to want to see me? He probably hates me. I've spent all the money now. I've not contacted him. I've been away for so long. And yet as he walked towards that house, the father came out and ran to embrace his son. You see, because I think the father, from every day when that son left that house, the father would be looking at the window. Maybe today he'll come back. Maybe he'll come back to his home. Come back into my presence. We can have that relationship as father and son. Just maybe today he'll, be coming. he'll come home. And as the father heard of the famine in the land, he thought, well, maybe, maybe he'll come back because he'll know that I've got provision in my house. And he waited. And then the father ran. And you see, in that culture in that day, you did not do that. You did not pick up the skirt that you would have worn and run towards your son. It would have been like, no way, don't do that. In fact, I'm sure I read once that he could have been stoned to death for doing that in his own village. 
of embracing his son like that. And yet when he saw his son was coming back, he didn't even care what his son was going to say. He didn't even think, oh, how much of it have you spent? What, how have you been living? He just waited, saw his son and ran and embraced him like our Father does. But when we come into worship, when we come into that one-on-one with us and God, do you know what we do? We let that barrier stay. Well, I've fallen short, God. I've done this wrong. I don't live that right. I'm not, I'm not how you want me to be. And yet the Father says, I don't care about that because I see you through the eyes of Jesus. And actually all I want is relationship with you. So I'm so excited that you're coming into my presence. And I'm so excited that you want to spend time with me because I'm waiting for that. And Father God is waiting for that for us. He's waiting for us to draw closer than we've ever been before. And whatever level you're on now, there's always more. There's always more of having intimacy with the Father. And I want this message to encourage you that you can come back. It's called coming back. It's coming back into that presence and being just overwhelmed by his power and his mercy and his love and his compassion for you, just like the Father was to the prodigal son. In Luke 15, 21 to 24, this is what happened next. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And as we read earlier, he then wanted to say, um, make me like one of your servants. You know, do this. Just let me come in. Just, you know, at that level, that serving level, not even to be like your son in this house, but please just let me come back. But the father interrupted. He wasn't going to listen to the whys and wherefores and how he got to that place. He just said this to his servants. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He didn't want to listen to, oh, Father, I've done this and and I've just messed up. And could I just come in at this level? No, you're my son. My son has returned. You could have been dead. You were lost, but you're found. You were dead, but you're alive. And now I'm calling you into my presence and I'm going to clean you up you see because he smelled of pigs he'd been in the pigsty he put a clean robe on him he put a ring on his finger he drawed him back into the presence of the father come in son servants quick find the best meat the choice foods let's get the table prepared and ready because my son has come home and he prepared a feast there was celebration You see, where there's death, there's resurrection with Jesus. What is lost is found in Jesus. That there can be restoration of that intimacy of you and the Father when you call back into his presence and say, I need your presence. I need your presence to live this life. The Father didn't condemn, but he embraced. And I just love that. And that's what our Father does. He embraces us with his presence. And he says, come. And he's saying that to us today as a quickening. Come into my presence. Come and dine with me. Come and commune with me. I want to lavish my love on you. I want to give you direction for your life. I want to have that one-on-one with you. But you set the bar. You set the standard of how much you want to spend time with the Father. He experienced favor when he went back in the house. There was great favor. He thought, I'll just come in at the level of serving. But no, he was positioned as a son again. And when you're positioned as a son or a daughter, the most high favor is released. And we learn this from the story of Moses. You see, God gave Moses a big mandate, a big mission to let his people be set free from slavery in Egypt and taken to the promised land. Many of us are familiar with the story. And God comes to Moses and he tells him what he wants to do. 
And there's this apprehension in Moses' heart of, how can I do this? I'm just a man and I've got this issue and all the story that goes with it. But God said to him, no, Moses, I'll be with you. That was the promise. I will be with you as you set out and do what I've asked you to do. I'm with you. Because as we read in Matthew 28, I am with you till the end of time. I'm with you always. And this is what he promises Moses in Exodus 33, 14 to 16. So Moses basically said to God, how, how can I go? You know, what's going to happen? And God says, the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I'll give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. So Moses basically asks his own questions. He's like, do you know, God, if you don't go with us, if your presence is not within, with us, the people of the land who don't know you are not going to know that your favor is, is on us because you're not with us. So therefore, presence and favor go hand in hand together. And so in our lives, people can see the favor of God on our lives when we've been in the presence. And, you know, just like with Moses, when he got in the presence of God, his face shone with the glory of God. And when you get in the presence with your father, your face is different. You shine with the glory of God. When you've spent carpet time with God in your own time, in your one-on-one with father, it shows on your face and the favor of God follows. Because otherwise, what separates you from the world? Nothing. But what separates from the world is when we have that encounter with Jesus. Of when we say, okay, God, I've messed up, but I know I'm giving that to you. And then you're going to turn me around and move on. That I want to be more and more in your presence. That it shows on your face. You just know when people come into worship when they've already encountered Jesus. You know when they've spent that time when they're like, okay, God, it's you first. I'm putting you first in my life. Because it shows in their face and in their very persona of who they are. And I love the fact that it says in the verse... That I will give you rest. And you know, the classic thing that we do as Christians is we, we put our lives in little compartments. I have got God, church, family, work, social, and yet it's one life. God has given us one life. And therefore, what we do in the week is say, well, I've had a really busy day at work and I'm really tired and I've been up really early. So there is connect tonight. But you know what? I just need to rest. But I tell you something, when you make that choice to not rest and you go to that meeting, God's power and his presence revives your very being. And that has happened so many times in my experience. I've been like, okay, I know I've got to go to that and I'm spent, but I'm going to go to that meeting. And then in that meeting, God gives me a word for someone. And I speak that word and it's like, wow. God, I've been waiting for that. That's so, thank you so much. Or I go and feel at this place and yet we pray and something stirs and something happens and I'm in his presence and he gives me rest. And then I go home and then I can't get to sleep because I'm so buzzing from what's happened at the meeting, which is good because in his presence is where we get revived. And yet in our naturalness, what do we do? Oh, done two things already this week. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I need to put that first. And yet, what does it say? Does it say, seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added? Or does it say, self first? It doesn't say self first. And yet, often that's what we do. We self first rather than saying, okay, God, in the natural I'm spent, but in the spiritual I'm going to come alive and you're going to revive me. And God is in the business of doing that church. So get in there. Be present in the program. Be present in what is on. Be there. Because God wants to do something with you and through you for this season. 
We need to acknowledge God's presence in our life, in every area. And this is what I'm saying of how God has orchestrated today's message, because mum has already said the ver- one of the verses I'm going to use today. And it's all about, in Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 8, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. But often what we do is with the presence of God that is in our very living within us, we say, okay, but when it's my work and when it's my social, when it's my downtime, I don't want you in that, God. I'll just give you Sunday. But no, God wants everything. He's saying, trust in me. Lean not on your own understanding, but I'll make your path straight. I'll make the way you walk right. I'll give you the wisdom for your walk. I'll give you the strength when you need it and the rest when you need it. Put me in the center of everything. And it's something we know. And as church people, we know that. That verse, seek first the kingdom of God. But my question today is how often do we live it though? When it comes down to it, when we've got the pull of our flesh this way and yet we've got the pull of the spirit that way, which takes over most? And I want to say, let's be spirit-led people. Let's be people that go with the spirit of God and be drawn into his presence more and more so that we don't miss out. You know, be in the program so you don't miss out. Get involved so that you know that God is going to speak to you because he's drawing out more. It's such a season for that at the moment. And I want to stir you up to not miss out. We need to get desperate for his presence. You know, that prodigal son was desperate. He got to the point he's literally starving to death without the presence of his father and the house of his father. And yet many Christians go around starving to death because we haven't put the word into practice. We haven't spent that time in his presence. We haven't put prayer as a priority. And you know what it's like every morning we wake up, and I'm sure, because I'm like you, I'm human exactly like you, if I'm honest, is the first thing on my mind every morning I wake up, okay, God, I want to encounter your presence. I want to do this, set my day up right with that. No, it's probably like, right, I've got this length of time to get the kids dressed, ready, out school, get the lunches packed, plan my day, everything. It all goes through your head. And yet we need to be people that say, no, God, it is you first. And if that means getting up half an hour early, or that means at those first moments when your eyes open, your God, today's about you. Let your presence that resides and live in me be so overwhelming in my life that when I walk out in the street, people are drawn to you because we're glory carriers. That's what we are. And we need to have that desperation for your glory to be released, Lord God, through my life and in my life for this season. We need to be intentional about his presence, not casual. And I think so often we're casual. We're like, ah, take it or leave it. You know, often at times you think comes to Sunday, ah, Do I go? Do I not go? There's a better offer on over here. The football's on, blah, blah, blah. But people do that rather than being, you know, I need to get in his presence. I need to be drawn to where his presence is. You know, and you need to enter in by yourself as you're one-on-one with God. And that is through prayer. That is through confessing your sins to God. That is through worship. You know, the best worship service is between you and God. It's an audience of one. You know, it's communion. How many times do we do communion outside of church? That's the question for you. Do that, do that with your family on your own? It's so important to have that communion with the Father. We need to seek him first. We need to put him first. And as we develop our relationship with him individually, what does that look like in the churches of this land? When people are so passionate and so desperate for God that they've been in that place, they've been on their face in his glory, they've received the wisdom and the word for moving forward with their life. What does that look like when then the whole church come? What does that look like in the worship and in the encounter of the presence of God when everyone's been in that place, when hands are raised and hearts are open? 
when we've confessed what is in the way, when we've said no longer will there be the barrier because you tore the veil, you made the way. There's no longer that I can't get in his presence, but there is I can be in his presence whenever I want to be in his presence. We can experience his presence together in any setting of a church environment. You know, we have all throughout the week as you go on our website and in every church represented here, there's, there's a midweek program, there's stuff on. And yet, people are not present in the program. And okay, life happens and I know that there's things I cannot get to. But when I have a choice, I'm going to choose to get to something. When there's that moment of, okay, I either go to that meeting or I'm going to stay and watch the telly. Do you know what it's going to be? I'm going to get to that meeting. Because that's where his presence is. That's where the power is. Because that program is always going to be there to watch. I mean, we have recordable devices these days. Don't be demanded by what's on television, which so many people in the world are. But be ready to say, I'll get in his presence because they'll be revived. And just maybe I'll have that word for someone. Just maybe that thing I've been crying out to you for, God, somebody will come over and just speak heaven into my life and it will change everything. But I need to be present in the program and present with my heart in the program. You know, we need to become more aware of God's presence. You know, and it's just as I look around the world today, you look at countries like Africa and Asia and different places. You know, they put crusades on and thousands upon thousands of people come. They put on meetings in tents or in stadiums, and you get flocks of people come. And whenever they come in their thousands, they bring their friends, their family, they bring their sick, they bring people that are injured, and they come. And it takes them sometimes days to get to these meetings, but they come there. And then as you look through YouTube or you look on the web, you will see that the presence of God is always manifest in those meetings. There is always healings. There is always miraculous. There is always a move of the Holy Spirit in those places. And why is that? It's because the people are so desperate for God because they've got nothing else. You see, they don't care about what else is going on in their life because they're like, I've got to get there because I'm going to meet with this Jesus. And some of, them, some of them have never heard the name of Jesus before. And so a man or woman will stand on the stage and say, Jesus, and there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit because they're so desperate and so hungry for an encounter, for something different, that they're not looking at everything else in their life because do you know what? They haven't got anything. And so they rush because it's all about Jesus and they're desperate. And when they come, we see the miracles and we see the healing. And yet in the Western church, we're like, oh, it's few and far between. But I believe it's a heart issue because we're not desperate enough. Because we take it or leave it, there's always next Sunday and I can do that meeting and what about that? And it's my choice. But are you desperate for God or you're not desperate? Because if I told you on Wednesday night there was a gathering and as you came to the gathering, you would get the answer to your question. You would get the miracle that you've been asking for for years. That healing that you need, you're going to get it on Wednesday. Do you know what? You'd be there. You would be there. If I guaranteed you that, you'd be there. And yet I can guarantee you that the presence of God, the same power that rose Christ from the dead, the same power that has seen blind eyes open and deaf ears healed, that same power is going to be there on Wednesday night or on Thursday night or on Friday morning because it's the presence of God. And when we get so desperate for his presence and for his house, something happens. You know, I had a profound moment about five weeks ago in church and it was with our daughter Jessica. She's three years old and the service had finished and we, we started to walk out and we walked out past this door here. And she said, oh, what's that, mummy? And she looked through that door and she said, oh, I know, that's where the angels wait. Three years old, that's where the angels wait. Okay, so I don't know what was going on with that three-year-old girl. 
I don't know what she was thinking. Was she seeing something of God? Maybe. Was she coming to God in his house with childlike faith and believing for the miraculous? What, what was she seeing as a three-year-old? But it stirred something within me of what she said was, that's where the angels wait. The angels wait. And I want to ask you in our gatherings, are the angels waiting for us, God's people, in that connection with him, with his Holy Spirit, to release them? Are they about to be released for salvation? Are they about to be released for wisdom? Are they the ones that are going to carry our very prayers into the throne room of God and then the bowl tips over? Read it in Revelation. You know, what are they waiting for? And then I felt with a sadness in my heart because I thought, but they're waiting. (laughs) Did they wait till the next week? Did they stay on the sidelines? Are they waiting for that moment? Were they going to join in with our worship when true worship came? Or were they just waiting for the right time when there's such that build-up that then God releases them? Because they were waiting. They weren't standing there singing. They were waiting for something. And I believe in my heart, you know what they're waiting for? They're waiting for a church that gets so passionate and so desperate about King of Kings and Lord of Lords that they will say, angels of salvation, be released. Go out into this town. Heal people. Save lives. Bring in the lost. You know, that's what they're waiting for. And as we read the word of God, we have access to heaven. We can bring heaven down to earth. And it's people that are fiery enough to do it. People that are so desperate for God of what it doesn't look like. As I said to you at the beginning, I wouldn't have cared if I'd run onto a building site and had to use a toilet there because of that desperate. That wouldn't be my choice, but I would have done it. And sometimes it's not my choice. Sometimes I might not feel like worshipping. Or sometimes I might stand in a meeting and be like, I'm not feeling this, but it's not about what I feel. It's about who's residing in me. And it's about that moment of saying, God, this is all for you. This is all for you, and I don't care what I look like. I'm going to look like a blithering mess. I don't care if on Tuesday at Dynamic Prayer I have a word for somebody that is so weird and way out there, but when I say it, it changes their life. Because I want to be a glory carrier, and I know you want to be glory carriers, and we've got to be connected with his presence and connected with the Father. And the thing is, we will see the miracles, and we will see the outpouring. We will see the wave of his Holy Spirit. But we've got to get desperate for it. We've got to long for his presence. We've got to draw it in. And we've got to be available for him to use us. You know, can we be a desperate, hungry house? A hungry house that is desperate for the people out of there to get in. Can every church be like that in this town? So desperate to be that city on a hill that shines your light, Lord God. Um, Jung, if you could come and play for me, that'd be lovely. You know, can we be that desperate about the program? It might not be the thing you want to do on a Saturday night, but you know you're going to be there because you'll make a difference being there. And you know that you carry the presence and the spirit of God to speak the truth. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, as much as there was celebration going on and there was laughter and happiness and rejoicing because of the restoration and resurrection, there was one person who wasn't happy and it was the brother. You see, he saw his brother had gone away from the family home. He'd spent all the funds. He'd wasted the inheritance. He'd lived it up. He'd not cared about the father and the house. He was not happy when he saw his brother return and he got a hero's welcome. He was like, Father, what is going on? He's wasted your resource. He's wasted your money. He's disgraced our name. He's gone out and yet you bring him in with a hero's welcome. That is so wrong. And yet the father says, but son... You've lived in my house all this time. If you'd wanted a fatted calf, if you wanted a celebration, a feast, whatever you wanted, you could have asked me for that because you're in my presence. And so when the prodigals come in, 
And prodigals, I mean the people that have once known God but have slipped away. Or the people who for the first time meet Jesus. As they come in, let's give them a hero's welcome. I want this church to be the church that gives them a hero's welcome. I don't care what pigsty they've been eating from. I don't care what lifestyle they've led. What their past is, because that's in their past. But when they come back to the Father, or they meet Jesus for the first time, can we give them that hero's welcome? Can we say, actually, you know, I want you to feel the presence of God like I feel it. I want you to taste and see that God is good. Because I know that his presence is with me always, but it's my choice to enter in or not. But I'm going to show you how to enter in. I'll show you how to pray, how to worship, how to come to God with all that's on your mind, how to be released from the sin and the entrapment of sin. I want you to come in for a hero's welcome, welcome too. And as I was preparing this, I came across Psalm 63 and verses 1 to 3. And it just stirred me of this can be the cry of a heart this morning. Can this be our desperation cry to our Father? You, God, and my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. And I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I've seen your power and your glory. And I want to see more of your power and glory. That my lips will glorify my God. That when I'm thirsty and I'm in that parched place, I know that I'm revived and restored in your presence. I know that I can come into your presence. You are my God and I earnestly seek you, not myself. I earnestly put you first, not me, because it's all about you. And that is a prayer and a psalm that I just want to be our prayer as a church. That we earnestly seek you. I've beheld you in the sanctuary, in the church. And I want to know your presence more. And so I'd like to invite you to stand now. And I'd like to pray. And then we're going to worship. But we want to see what God wants to do. Because, you see, I don't want them angels if they're there to be waiting. I want to be a release on God's power in this place. You know, so let's wait. Let's wait on the God, on the Lord now. Father, you are our God, and we are your people. That we want to hunger and thirst after you, Lord God, after your presence. Because there's nothing quite like your presence, Lord God. I want to pray now, Father, as this message has been delivered, that you would do your work with this message. You would divide it up and plant it in the hearts of every precious person that's in this house. And Lord God, I want to pray for every person as they receive your word this morning, that they will put it into action in their lives, that there will be that impartation, Father, that you are always with us, that your presence is always there. And as we enter in, you rejoice and you celebrate and you are glad. And I want to pray, Father, that you'd make us a desperate people, a desperate people after your presence, after your house, Lord God. And Father, I just want to pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would just stir that within the hearts of your people to be desperate enough for you. And Lord God, that if that's what we really want as we raise our hands and as we worship now, Lord God, that you would pour out your spirit on us, Lord God. You say in your word you will pour out your spirit. And I want to pray for an outpouring of that spirit. I want to pray for a releasing of the angels that do wait in anticipation for our command to say, angels, go. Angels of salvation, angels of healing, angels of wisdom, angels of deliverance, that they would be released. That we'd call upon your name, Lord God. And as we call upon your name, that there would be an outbreak of your presence, Father God. Because we want to know you. You are our God and we love you and we trust you. 
So as we worship now, Father, we want to give ourselves to you, to empty ourselves of, of sin and the stuff that hinders. And we want to come into your presence now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let us be we're going to become more aware of his presence church I just invite you to close your eyes is there a desperation for Jesus in your heart today to be presence dwellers and not presence knowers I want to ask you if you'll raise your hands with me if you want to go deeper today into his presence if you want to feel that relationship with God just grow more and more I just want to ask you that I just want you to stand with me and say we're desperate people, Lord. We want to know you more, God, more intimately. We want to invite you in, Father, to come and just commune with us and dine with us. Lord God, we want to say we're desperate for you, Father. I want to pray that you just take off the trappings of life and the distractions, Lord God. That as we step in your presence, we want to say we want to go deeper, Father. We want to be people that are found in your presence. We want to be glory carriers in this day and age, Father, because the Spirit of God will be released on the earth through people like us, because we carry your presence. So I'd ask your Holy Spirit that every heart here today, every hand raised here today, they just get that stirring up of your glory within them, Father, that moving forward to be presence dwellers. Lord God, it's about your Spirit, that we love you, Lord God, and we're after you, Father. I want to be found in my Father's house. I want to be found in the presence of God. I want to pray for each person, each heart here today to have more of an encounter of your glory, Lord God. It's about your glory. And we just want to release angels of salvation in this place today. Angels of salvation, that the lost will be found. That those far away from you will come into the presence. That those in our town who are desperate for you and fill their lives with every other substitute would come and know the glory and the power of the only one most high God. And so we cry out as a church today for salvation in our town. That something is going to change because the presence and glory of God is here. And we thank you for that, Lord God. And so, Father, as we go out of this place today, let us be changed. Let us be fired up for the week ahead. What could happen on Tuesday when we're in the program? What could happen when I speak to my family and my friend today? When I release your glory of your presence, Lord God. And we thank you, Father, for all that's happened this morning, this far. And we say more, Lord God, more, Lord God, on this journey. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.